You are listening to the recording of a live show. Please do not call or text, as this is a recording, and lines are now closed. In the name of Allah, the most gracious, ever merciful, dear listeners, a warm assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuhu. May the peace and blessings of Allah be with you all. You are listening to another episode of The Breakfast Show on The Voice of Islam Radio, broadcasting from the biggest mosque of Europe, the Battle of Two Mosque. My name is Shahil Munir Ahmad, dear listeners. I'm going to be your host for the next two hours. Alongside with me is Asim Hashmi, who is my co-host. Asim, welcome and assalamu alaikum. Assalamu alaikum. May the peace and blessings of Allah be upon you. How are you doing? I'm doing very well. How, how are you? I'm good, good. Good to know, dear listeners. I hope, dear listeners, you had a pleasant morning as well. And uh, if you have enjoyed your breakfast already, or if you're enjoying your breakfast, we both, we're going to make sure that you also enjoy today's shows. And Asim, I think um, for today, as always, we have prepared two topics. Absolutely. So the first um, segment is UN Secretary General Invokes Article 99 on the UN Charter on Gaza. That is going to be an interesting topic. And we do have one guest, uh, Mr. Khalil Yusuf. And uh, also for the second segment... Um, the topic is tolerance in a polarized society. Uh, we have a pre-recording and a live, live guest as well for that. So dear listeners, we have guests prepared. We have a pre-recording prepared as well. These topics are very interesting. It's about concentration in the Middle East and about this multicultural society we start living in. People from different backgrounds migrating to different countries. And it's a challenge now. For few world leaders, for leaders, how to maintain a peaceful society because now you're living for someone you don't know. And of course, it is important that you know your neighbor, you know his culture as well, as well for the migrant who's migrating, that he should know the culture as well and should try to integrate in the society as well. So this is a way important topic, I believe, we should discuss. But dear listeners, as always, before we go to our first segment, we just have a look on the headlines of today's newspapers. And uh, mainly it's about the COP28 deal. Um, if I just scroll down, I see that the Times report that the National Crime Agency has warned parents about letting their children on Facebook. Asim, you see, I'm actually very happy they are talking about it because I am such an anti-social media person. <laughs> I, I use social media not so often. I'm not addicted. Yeah. Like, I know some people here who will wake up who will just get the phone on the hand and will just Before check. having any breakfast anything, or anything. Like, the, even they're still just yeah. laying in the bed. They didn't do anything and yet they will just see if they got any good likes or new followers, etc. But especially for children. I can't understand why parents are giving children mobile and providing them with all these social media things which we have. We have so many social media uh, sites. Um, I mean, I don't know about them. Um, I just know of, uh, Instagram and Twitter slash X and Facebook. <laughs> And to be honest, even WhatsApp is for me social media, but this is like what you know commonly use. But even though I need some people who don't use in WhatsApp. Interesting, yeah. But carry on. So the time says the platform, uh, we'll talk about Facebook, the platform's parents' uh, company Meta is to introduce encrypted messaging, meaning it will no longer be able to see what users are sharing with each other. 
The agency believes this will lead to Meta providing freer reports of child abuse to police, a claim the company disagrees with. The agency's Director General of Operation Rob Jones told the paper that the NCA had lobbied Meta against the move, which she believes is based on profitability. And justice for my James is the Daily Mirror's headline. It quotes James Bogler's mother, Denise Fergus, as saying that the refusal of peril of for John Venables, one of her son's killers, is the best thing that has happened for her to her for 30 years. James was abducted, tortured, and murdered by Venables and Robert Thompson in 1993. And I, you heard about that. I mean, this is all over the news. Like, all, not all over the news, but I came across this many, many times. I believe this happened in Liverpool. I mean, this is, you know, it's so scary. You Because I'm a parent of myself. You are as well. We have yes. little children. And just a second where you don't pay attention, your child can be gone. And uh, even, you know, uh, this is scary. This is something you, you always you need to keep an eye on your children as well. Uh, and according to the, t- the Daily Telegraph, Britain is to spearhead a fighter jet project under a new treaty to be signed with Japan and Italy later on Thursday. Originally announced last December... Its aim is to create the next generation of supersonic aircraft to be in the skies by 2035 to replace the Type 1 jet. It is the first time the UK will have provided headquarters for a multinational fighter jet program. The Times says that new analysis for official figures suggest that hundreds more middle-aged people have been dying each month since the pandemic ended. It reports that 28,000 more people died in the first six months of the year compared with the five-year average. The biggest rise is unexpected death was in adults aged 50 to 64. The paper says obesity levels and NSH waiting lists since COVID are partly to blame. It is something very scary. You know, Asim, you maybe both agree. Life is very precious. And Islam has highlighted this many, many times that we should look after it and we should you know not even our own life but we should pray for other people as well not to be honest how many times have we bowed down and we have prayed for other people and this is what humanity is this is what Islam tells us about humanity so of course that uh, it is very um, tragic to know that and the only thing what we can do is to pray for them. The Daily Mail reports that the Conservative Party Deputy Chairman for Women has voted not to stay silent on women's rights after police took no action against her over allegations she'd been transphobic. Rachel McLean shared an online post about an aspiring Green MP whose transgender which called them a man who wears a wig and calls himself a broad lesbian. She apologized for any offense but told the paper she is going to carry on saying what a woman is. The Daily Telegraph says that under new NSH targets, 2 million people will be advised to boost their statin dose to reduce cholesterol levels. The National Institute for Health and Care Excellence wants people already on statins to have lower levels, both the good and the bad. Then those said for the general public, it hopes the advice will mean about 145,000 and fewer heart attacks, stro- strokes or other cardiac incidents over the next 10 years. And the listeners, The Sun, Daily Express, Daily Mail and Daily Telegraph are carry pictures of the front pages of the missing Norfolk woman, Gaynor Lord, who hasn't been seen since Friday.
Daily Mail says CCTV footage of the 55-year-old has only deepened the mystery of her disappearance because it shows her smiling at work moments before she disappeared. Police believe the most likely scenario is that she entered the water of the river Wensum in Norwich. The Sun says Norfolk police are liaising with the police in Lancashire where Nicola Bolly disappeared in almost identical circumstances in January. You know, awesome. Uh, recently, uh, there was a funeral uh, of one of uh, the mother of one of our members. And, you know, when I was reading about the status of women in Islam, especially about mother, because I just, what I just read out about um, Gaina Lord, she's the mother of all. And uh, <coughs> it is very, I mean, the status was given in Islam about women, especially about mother, is very high. And uh, <coughs> that's why, um, especially mother, I consider uh, as something, something which you, let's say, which you, as very pious and very honored, right? It is very sad to see this is happening in this day and age. Still, that you you can't like anything can happen, and you need to look around the society as surrounding us. Well, this is something you know where you believe that it should have come to an end. So many things which are still happening in year 2023, which you might believe that, like, which you would think that 50 years ago, you would think that these things would come to an end. Well, still happening. So um, I hope that woman, gain a lot, will be found alive, healthy. And um, I mean, the prayers are going out to her family members as well. May Allah protect her and her family members as well. Asim, um there's were uh, uh news you want to share as well absolutely there are quite a few news um u s house approves biden impeachment inquiry there you go so the u s house of representatives votes to formally approve an impeachment impeachment inquiry into president joe biden three republican led house committees are seeking an any evidence of corruption that might tie Biden to his family members' business dealings. They, they accused the Democratic president and his relatives of improperly profit, profiting during his tenure uh, as vice president under uh, Barack Obama. The White House says the, the probe, which began in September, is a baseless stunt and an abuse of power by House Republicans. No evidence of wrongdoings by Biden has been presented. House uh, Republicans say formalizing the inquiry gives them greater legal firepower to enforce, uh, depose witnesses, and gather evidence. So that is one of the news is that the U.S. House has approved Biden's impeachment inquiry. And let's see what happens with that. Well, uh, yeah, let's see what future is uh, holding for Joe Biden. Um, awesome. Uh, it is Champions League weekend. No, sorry, Champions League week, which is basically over. The games yes, are finished. Absolutely. The group stages are finished. And uh, we had... Um, I was hoping for a few surprises. There are one, which uh, I say is Copenhagen, who has qualified for the last 16, and Manchester United has been eliminated. Alongside with Newcastle, so there are two uh, teams from England, which is very rare to see that they are already eliminated. In the last few years, we have seen four teams 
and the knockout stages, distance are only two. Uh, do you see any downfall coming f uh, from the Premier League side? Um, it's tough to say. It's tough to say. I, I doubt it hmm. because we, we do have top Premier League teams. Um, I mean, uh, to be honest, um, if I look at Manchester and United right now, um, for me, I don't think they are fit for any U international game, for any European Cup. Maybe in the National League, but uh, the situation which has occurred right now, which has been, you can see, in the last 10 years, shows that uh, it's getting worse for them year after year. For Manchester United? Yes. They, they did give a tough time to Bayern. I'm not, I'm not going to lie, but yeah, I mean, it was a really good game. No doubt on that. They scored as many goals as Bayern scored as well in the cup stages. Mm -hmm. Yet yeah. Bayern is first and they were last. They conceded a lot. Yeah, They conceded yeah. 15 goals. They scored 12, they conceded 15 goals, which is a huge number. It is a huge number for Manchester United. For Manchester United. And that's why I'm saying that. You have seen it on fire. Okay, they have given tough times to teams, but still, they lost. Um, I mean, you can see now, if you look at a starting eleven, you, you hardly can see even one top player Who, who can, you know, go into any team right at the moment. Yeah, that's the thing, like... Yeah. I mean, uh, uh, this, is, this is strange. That's why I'm saying that. Um, uh, you know, people are talking about Eric Den Haag, he should be sacked. I mean, this is the all same picture since uh, Ferguson left the field. This is the same picture which we have seen, that some one trainer comes and then they start talking about him. Now, he don't fit for the team and try to get rid of him. I think what they can do is that um, uh, they should start from the top. The management. They should do some changing as well. They should. Um, I think they should put more money on the team as well. Uh, and um, this is why I think you know the the coach. Of course, he has huge responsibility. He's in the middle of everything. Uh, but he can. I mean, he he has this. He can try and. Uh, But I think it should start in the, from the top, from the management side as well. But yeah, what I say is also that, um, of course, Ten Hag, he has made some mistakes as well. I can't see any good chemistry between the players as well. So um, this is why I think like that's why I'm saying that they don't fit for this. Yeah, right. yeah. first I think they need to prove in, in the Premier League and come, you know, top three, top four and then We'll see if they can, you know, compete in Champions League, just like some other teams as well. I won't uh, mention my my team. <laughs> your, your, your team is uh, Chelsea, right? <laughs> yes. Do people know the name or? Absolutely, everyone knows the name. Still, still, they know the name. Exactly. And they they're not playing in any cup. Any cup in anything, yeah. Uh, so they got more free days, and to think what more time to rest and ponder upon what we have done. I think it's going to be next year the same, right then. I think next year we might see some improvements. Uh, as you know, we have a full new team, and it takes years and years and years to, you know, have a new team and actually get somewhere. So I think it's 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 a not a good start, but um, we're getting there, and we can see that some of our, our players are trying to perform well and get some confidence. This is. This is good to know that they they are trying to improve. You know, um, I mean, who 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 is not trying to improve? Everyone is trying to improve, and that, that's what Islam's teaching us as well. That where you are, 
be it in like any field, it doesn't matter if it's sport or it's in the work in your work field, even as a person Islam is encouraging you to be better to improve as well. Uh, and Asim, you know, um recently, last yesterday basically even, um I was talking with someone about one of the biggest enemy we have. Yes. Which is you know, we can say that we are the, our own enemy. You know, our own ego and Islam has talked about that as well. Um I just know you need to focus on that. I just want to focus on that before we go to our first segment, dear listeners. But dear listeners, before we do so, you can be a part of the show as well. You can call in anytime. The number is 0208-687-7878. Or you can on our social at Voice Islam UK. Um, let us know what you think um, about our segment, which is about that the UN Secretary General invokes Article 99. And... I just want to know, uh, what do you think about the United Nations? Um, are they playing a big role in this society, in this day and age? <clears throat> We have uh, seen a lot of conflicts in the world, yet there haven't been any solution. So what do you think, what is the role of the United Nations and how can they improve? Uh, and uh, awesome, yeah, coming back um, to our biggest enemy, which is the person itself, the ego. And uh, um, Islam has spoke about that as well. You know, in Islam, dear listeners, there's a misconception about the word called jihad. People think it means holy war, yet it has nothing to do with that. The uh, actual meaning of jihad means struggle. And now if you look at that word struggle, you see you struggle a lot. The humanity has struggled a lot, but because they struggled, they improved as well. They prospered as well. We see what if you look outside, we see all these new environments happen because people struggled, people tried, people focused on that, and through that, they struggled. And through the struggling, we prospered. So, it's actually a good word as well. Now, there are three kinds of jihad explained in uh, Islam as well. The biggest jihad is the jihad which you say is against yourself, against your own ego. This middle, the middle jihad is for um, the spread of the true meaning of Islam, the peaceful meaning of Islam. And the lowest jihad, the smallest jihad, is the jihad uh, to uh, with the sword, which means to defend Islam when it's attacked by the enemy. Only to defend it and not defend only Islam, awesome. also to defend people from different belief, but, uh, 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 like any holy place which is under attack to defend that as well. So, this is basically the meaning of that. And you can see it is actually only there to defend or to help people. Now, of course, um, we are focusing on the biggest jihad, and even you know, awesome. Uh, after one battle when the Holy Prophet peace be upon him, when he was returning back to uh, his home Medina he told to his companion that we are returning from the s smallest jihad to the biggest jihad which means they always focus mainly mostly on the biggest jihad which is the jihad against your own ego they always self-reformation yes yes they always try to prove to adopt new uh, moral qualities And this is why it's very important as well. The reason, Asim, I have just spoken about this is because 
he was holding that Sadam Mirza Musulman, may Allah be helped by. He has given a solution for to end all of this war, all of this conflict. And who those people should step up, should come forward. Of course, are the world leaders, and he advised them that um, you should get go against your own ego to achieve peace, to achieve those results which human beings are looking for, which human beings are hopefully, I mean, uh, think that you they that they can achieve it. So this, as I said, this is the biggest jihad. This um, uh, it's very difficult. To kill your own ego, to go against your own wishes, is very difficult. Absolutely, not to just think about yourself and be selfish, but to think about the world and what's better for the world, not just for your own little, maybe country or just for yourself. You know, you have to think what can make the world better for the international um, world, for the international community. Of course, it is important that we come and we. As you said, that we sometimes, if we have to go against our own wishes, then so be it. If it's bringing um, fruitful results, then yes, um, I'm happy. Everyone is happy to do so. This is what Islam is basically all about, and uh, that's why I always say Islam has given solution. You know, people say that it is all because of religion. Religion has nothing to do with that. Um, it is yet. In the mainstream media, you will hear the name Islamist, jihadist, which is very strange because if you are a jihadist, it means you are struggling for something, for something good. But the media has corrupted the word so much that people are scared of the word jihad and name of Islam, Muslim, which is, I mean, so sad. And uh, this is where we're living right now this is why what we try from the voice of islam team as well to remove all these misconceptions as well and uh, to give the true picture of islam and today the listeners we will discuss these two topics also from the islamic perspective and you will see that awesome that the holy prophet moment peace be upon him that he was a person of peace reconciliation Someone who tried to resolve things with, you know, with advice, with wisdom, and uh, we will uh, look on his teachings as well, which he brought for the world. And dear listeners, you can decide in the end if these teachings are well, if they can fit in our society or not. If these teachings, if they are the solution or not. We will talk about that. We will talk about the sayings. We will talk about verses from the Holy Quran which she presented. And then you can, of course, decide if they are basically there to resolve big problems, to resolve all these conflicts. And if you have any thought about that, if you think you want to share something, you can do so, dear listeners. The number is 0208. 687787, 787, 787, or you can go on our social at Voice of Islam. You can let us know your answer. What solution did the Holy Prophet give to this world to maintain peace in the society and uh, why we should follow the Holy Prophet peace upon him. Um, dear listeners, we will go now for a short break and after the short break we will be back with our first, first segment. So please do me a favor, stay tuned with the Voice of Islam Radio. The promised Messiah, peace be on him, founder of the Ahmadiyya Muslim community in Islam, states... God Almighty has divided his wonderful universe into three categories. 
First, the world which is manifest and can be conceived through the eyes and the ears and other sensory organs, directly or indirectly, with the help of instruments. Secondly, the world which is hidden and which can be understood through deductive reasoning and hypothesizing. Thirdly, the world which lies even farther than the hidden world, so hard to conceive and almost beyond the reach of imagination. Very few are those who are aware of its existence. That is an entirely obscure world which cannot be conceived through deduction, but is only imagined. One can have access to it only with the help of spiritual vision, or revelation, or word from God, and not by any other means. As is evident from the unchanging will of God, manifested in nature, one can safely deduce that as God has provided man with the apparatus to understand the first two categories of his creation mentioned above, similarly he must have provided man with the apparatus and instruments to conceive that world of his creation which is mentioned under the third category. And that apparatus, as we have already mentioned, comprises spiritual vision, revelation, and the word of God. This mode of communication can never be conceived to be inoperative or to have ceased altogether in any age. Nay, but those who fulfilled the prerequisite have always been gifted with this and will continue to be gifted with the same. Listening to the Voice of Islam Radio. The Promised Messiah, peace be on him, founder of the Ahmadiyya Muslim community in Islam, states God Almighty has divided his wonderful universe into three categories. First, the world which is manifest and can be conceived through the eyes and the ears and other sensory organs, directly or indirectly, with the help of instruments. Secondly, the world which is hidden and which can be understood through deductive reasoning and hypothesizing. Thirdly, the world which lies even farther than the hidden world, so hard to conceive and almost beyond the reach of imagination. Very few are those who are aware of its existence. That is an entirely obscure world which cannot be conceived through deduction, but is only imagined. One can have access to it only with the help of spiritual vision or revelation or word from God and not by any other means. As is evident from the unchanging will of God, manifested in nature, 
One can safely deduce that as God has provided man with the apparatus to understand the first two categories of his creation mentioned above, similarly he must have provided man with the apparatus and instruments to conceive that world of his creation, which is mentioned under the third category. And that apparatus, as we have already mentioned, comprises spiritual vision, revelation, and the word of God. This mode of communication can never be conceived to be inoperative or to have ceased altogether in any age. Nay, but those who fulfilled the prerequisite have always been gifted with this and will continue to be gifted with the same. Listening to the Voice of Islam Radio. You're listening to the Voice of Islam Radio. Broadcasting on DAB via the internet 24 hours a day. In the name of Allah, the most gracious, ever merciful, dear listeners, welcome back. You're listening uh, you're listening to Breakfast Show on the Voice of Islam Radio and we will jump straight to our first segment which is that the UN Secretary General Antonio Guterres invokes Article 99 on the UN Charter on Gaza urging the UN Security Council to act on the war in Gaza. Guterres infuriated Israel on Thursday by taking the rare step of invoking Article 99 of the UN Charter to notify the Security Council that the crisis in Gaza represented a threat to world peace. It was the first time he had invoked the article since he became Secretary General in 2017. World peace, Asim! His Holiness has uh, spoken about this many, many times and he has reminded all these world leaders about that, about the current situation as well, that where we are leading and that this can have an impact, a bad impact on world peace as well. Um, but coming on the Article 99, do you think there will be an impact uh, of that um, which he just invoke? Um, so basically the, the invocation uh, marked a significant escalation of his efforts to address you know, the escalating Israel and Palestine conflict. Uh, this really used provision of the UN Charter gives the Secretary General 
the power to bring the, to the attention of the Security Council any matter that, in his opinion, may threaten the maintenance of you know international peace and security. So his decision to invoke Article 99 was a powerful signal of his concern about the escalating violence and his belief that the Security Council needed to make more urgent action to bring an end to the conflict. It also highlighted the inability of the Security Council, which is supposed to be the main body responsible for maintaining international peace and security, to effectively address the crisis. So Guterres' previous statement on the conflict had been critical of the violence and called uh, for, for a ceasefire. However, his invocation of Article 99 represented a more powerful and direct intervention on in the crisis. It was also a departure from his usual approach, which had been to focus on diplomacy and quiet diplomacy. So although the impact of Guterres' in invocation of Article 99 is difficult to assess, uh, definitely, it is likely that it helped to raise the profile of the conflict and put pressure on the Security Council to take action. It also signaled to the parties the conflict that the international community was watching and that there would be consequences for further escalation of violence. So Guterres' invocation of Article 99 could also have long-term implications for the general, uh, for United Nations' role in, in addressing conflicts. It could encourage the use of its provision more often, and it could, uh, you know, make it more difficult for the Security Council to ignore crises that are brought to, his, uh, to its attention. You're, so basically, it is the, he's trying to un end the conflict. This is, this is what I said, that, we have a solution. We have the Holy Prophet, peace be upon him. We have his teachings as well. A prophet who was there to maintain peace in the society. And um, I invited you to the show as well, dear listeners. If you think uh, you, you need to add something, uh, or if you have anything on your mind, where you believe that, yes, this is the teaching of the Holy Prophet, and this is something the world should know, then you can call in any time. The number is 0286877787, or you can go on our social at Voice of Islam UK. Meanwhile, in dear listeners, in chapter 49, verse 10, there is one, this is this one verse, which um, is there basically to uh, to advise or basically to explain how we can gain international peace. Allah says, and if two parties of believers fight against each other, make peace between them, then if after that one of them transgresses against the other, fight the party that transgresses until if it returns to the command of Allah. Then if it returns, make peace between them with equity and act justly. Really, Allah loves the just. Now, the word asum in the end which is used is just. To act justly. yeah, And this is something... I don't know, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe you can correct me. But I can't see in this world. No, nowhere, not in this day and age. Sometimes, you know, you say um, all lives matters. And suddenly when it comes to a crisis, suddenly that particular party or group of people who are uh, funded or who are attacked, who are victims, who, who are basically 
killed, they are left alone. Absolutely. I mean, and then uh, after this crisis, you have a banner, all lives matter, then it it's considered as offensive. If a player's write uh, anything, all lives matter what, what on I'm their saying, shoes or this, anything, this then it's I'm offensive. Saying, there, there's no justice. And this is what Allah wants. You know, to, to have justice in this world, you need to look, you need to be there for both. This Absolutely. worth, yeah, yeah, which I just recited, is that it's not there to take side of any party. Exactly. Yeah. It is basically saying that to reconcile both parties. Yes, if the one party doesn't listen, it's still doing, keep going, um, bringing uh, violence to the other party. Then go against that party who's, who still uh, is looking after violence, until that party then returns and also um, uh, uh, going, going coming back from violence and it's also ready to listen and it's all ready to reconcile then you should act with justice which means that whatever happened forget it and give both the same rights as well listen to both as well and uh, make sure that both by reconciling it is important that when you reconcile that what happened before shouldn't happen again and therefore you need to act just uh, you need to act just as well you need to use justice as well and this is what Holy Prophet peace be upon him uh, has also explained uh, in one of his very beautiful saying um, he said that help your brother whether he is an oppressor or he is an oppressed one and uh, the companions have a very surprised us yes. they asked the Holy Prophet oh Allah's messenger it is alright to help him if he is oppressed but how should we help him if he is an oppressor and the Holy Prophet dear listener, very beautifully replied by preventing him from oppressing others. So you see that even in his saying, you see that he's not taking side of anything, yet he's basically saying that you should have both parties, yes, even though one is oppressed and the other one is oppressed. And then, he's, and then he said that even teach them, educate them, especially those parties who are oppressing, that they shouldn't do these things as well. You know, reconcile with them, speak with them, and this is what you know. This is the lack of what I've seen as well, which I um, haven't uh, uh, um, really, really seen in any um, uh, form, form or by any world leaders. Absolutely. And um, the listeners, this is what I was saying. That if you have any thought, uh, if you have any um, thing you need, you have in your mind where the Holy Prophet gave solution of how we can maintain um, peace in our society or how we can come closer to world peace, then please do me the favor and call. The number is 0208-687-787 or you can go on our social at Voice of Islam UK. And uh, to be honest, this is not the only thing which comes out in my mind. The Holy Prophet, peace be upon him, he was someone, you know, who has taught us the, the value of human life as well. And he he told us why it is important to look after the life, regardless from what face or race he is, he or she is. It is the duty of a true believer that he will look after the life of every human being. Um, Asim, you know, right, Tika, we, uh, we carry on with... Um, uh, uh, the main topic as well 
about um, Guterres and the action he has taken. Um, do you think this is uh, uh, that uh, Guterres action lead to more active role for UN peacekeeping missions in Gaza? Um, so the UN peacekeeping forces could uh, help to monitor the implementation of any ceasefire agreement and prevent violations from occurring. They could also provide a physical presence on the ground to deter further escalation of violence. Also, UN peacekeepers could help protect civilians and deliver humanitarian aid to those in need. You, they could also facilitate the safe passage of essential supplies and personal. So, uh, we we do believe that you know this could have a positive impact. I, I mean, it has to be because we're talking about not so only about Gaza. We're talking about the whole world. We're talking about. World peace and the listeners for um, we want to focus on world peace a bit more, and therefore we have a guest with us online, uh, Mr. Khalil Yusuf, who is a lawyer with over 15 years of legal experience. Um, Mr. Khalil Yusuf, uh, good morning. Uh, uh, may the peace and blessing of Allah be with you as well, and welcome to the breakfast show. Uh, Assalamualaikum. Good morning, um, Khalil Yusuf. Um, We were just recently, uh, just a few seconds ago, we were talking about uh, world peace. Something I think everyone wants to see as well. And um, now we have this, we have many, many crises in the world, to be honest. And this is this major crisis we see in Gaza. Um, how, how would you classify the situation in Gaza? Do you think it is a threat for world peace? I mean, certainly, look, there are, it's a very serious situation in Gaza at the moment. Uh, even yesterday, uh, the Israelis were uh, levelling threats uh, at making attacks in Lebanon because of uh, missiles that were being projectiles that were being fired into Israel from uh, other actors in Lebanon, and a large number of Israeli soldiers are amassing on the northern border. So there is a chance that this uh, horrific war will extend beyond just Gaza. I mean, there are already measures that are being taken by the Israelis in relation to Lebanon. And so there is a chance that this could uh, escalate. It's already been two months now, and it is absolutely essential that the solution is found, a quick solution is found, and that these hostilities are stopped. And... Uh His Holiness, may Allah be his helper, he has spoken about this as well. Do you think, because he, the first time I remember when he started speaking about uh, um, this crisis was in 2004, which is almost 20 years. Do you think when uh, that if the world leaders would listen to him, we wouldn't be in this situation right now? For sure, for sure. I mean, this has been going on now. His Holiness has been speaking about the threat of third world war and uh, the really unstable political situation in the world, the unjust situations that are happening across the world for a long time. And I think that uh, the central theme is that people should act with honesty and with justice. And sometimes that means giving up some of your own rights for the greater good. Uh, and I think that if uh, nations had uh, adopted that approach, then a lot of this carnage that we're seeing today and actually some of the conflicts that we're seeing elsewhere uh, may well not have happened. 
Absolutely. So, Brother Khalil Yusuf, um, as you know, the UN Secretary General Antonio Guterres has invoked Article 99 on the UN Charter because he believes the UN Security Council should act on the war in Gaza. Uh, how would you comment on its action? No, I mean, since uh, Antonio Guterres took office in 2017, he's never sought to use this uh, this power, uh, this Article 99. And, and what it essentially means is that he is making a reference to the Security Council on the basis that he feels that there is a serious risk of a humanitarian catastrophe in Gaza and that he must bring the matter to the attention of the Security Council because it threatens international peace and security. Uh, there is appalling human suffering that is happening in Gaza at the moment. Uh, hospitals are now battlegrounds and there is an urgent, urgent need that we reach a ceasefire and some kind of solution very, very quickly. So the invoking of Article 99 for the Security Council to now review the situation and take some action is a really important step by Antonio Guterres. And um, Khalil, you said, um, with, without becoming disrespectful, but what I've seen the UN, no one has taken the UN seriously. The reason I'm saying that is because there are so many resolutions which are not legally binding. What is the reason for that? So, I mean, look, there are General Assembly resolutions, and there are Security uh, Council resolutions, and, uh, you know, the big issue with the Security Council is that uh, you have parties within that who vehemently disagree and mm. who will exercise a veto. So the United States and Russia, for example, are on two opposite sides, and unfortunately they don't agree and what we find in this current situation is that uh, the predominant party that vetoes a ceasefire is the United States and so if the United States uh, doesn't exercise its veto then there is a really good chance that the Security Council can come to a legally binding uh, resolution uh, and I, you know we hope that, that that can happen it's essential that we have a ceasefire now an immediate ceasefire, a comprehensive ceasefire. Uh, it's important the hostages are released. We need humanitarian aid to come into Gaza. It's essential that international law is complied with. And, and we think about what happens next. Um, there needs to be a lasting, peaceful solution. Uh, lots of nations are talking about a two-state solution. I don't know whether that is possible or not, but a lasting solution based on peace and justice is essential so that both parties, the Palestinians and the Israelis, can live peacefully. So you think that um, the UN can play a big role in solving the, this crisis? I, I hope that the UN can play a big role. It hasn't uh, played enough of a, of a role so far. I think you mentioned at the outset of, uh, of, uh, of my... Uh, comments about a UN peacekeeping force. I mean, that might be uh, one option. I'm not sure that the parties are uh, at the point where they will agree that. Well, the Israelis certainly would agree that, but uh, I think that that is an important tool. Uh, I also think that 
uh, nations, Muslim nations, play an essential role. Uh, it's important for them to unite, and it's important for them to uh, make a a more a more vocal contribution and a more active contribution to bringing about peace in the region. And uh, 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 Khalid, uh, brother Khalid. In Jerusalem, Jerusalem is a city which has uh, huge history, and uh, we know for a fact that it is also a city where Christian Muslims and Jews have lived peacefully for a long, long time. Now we have this situation there in Gaza, Israel, and if, for example, they come to a solution and they come to a solution of a two-state solution, do you think um, uh, with the Muslims, Christian, and Jews? living peacefully again in uh, Israel, uh, in Jerusalem? I hope so. Look, I mean, I think we have to remember that what's happening in Israel and Palestine is not an issue between Judaism mm. and Islam and mm. Christianity. This is a political issue. Mm. It is uh, an issue between uh, different states and about who has the right to occupy which part of the land. I think that uh, Muslims and Jews and Christians have often lived side by side peacefully. Uh, they are all Abrahamic faith, and uh, you know, at their times, uh, they were all the correct faith. I mean, Islam now uh, is the final religion, and it is there to unite all of mankind. But there is no issue from a faith perspective. This is a political issue, and it's important that the political issue is resolved and not and not conflated with the religions. And uh, you're totally right because if you look in history, um, if you look in here in Europe when uh, when Muslims ruled over Spain, this is the time where Jews lived also in Spain, and this is the biggest period of time of Jew living in Europe, like because you know that they were exiled from different countries as well. But this is the biggest period of time they lived peacefully in an in a Europe country, and uh, um, even when uh, the second Caliph of Islam and he went to Jerusalem and he conquered Jerusalem. There were no Jews, and he invited them back to Jerusalem to live there as well peacefully. So it, you're right; it's not a um, faith uh, conflict; it is more a political conflict. And uh, um, so, what can we hope from the faith leaders? Uh, sorry, from the world leaders, because this is, you know, a big issue. Everyone is a bit scared as well because it's getting bigger, bigger. And we have seen this coming for a long time. What can we hope now from the world uh, leaders? Um, look, I mean, I think it's important that the world leaders now focus very much on trying to uh, work towards a ceasefire. As I said, it's important that we have a ceasefire now that we release all the hostages, mm -hmm. that, that there is humanitarian aid. It's a, it's a horrendous humanitarian situation in Gaza uh, at the moment and that international law is complied with. And I think it's important that the international community really, really focuses on that. And there are uh, at least 17,000 innocent people within Gaza, a large proportion of which are uh, children and women. Um, they must be spared from a greater harm. And uh, it's important that the international community really treats that seriously. If they don't, then you know there is a really good chance that this conflict is going to escalate because there, there is so much injustice, there is so much uh, needless loss of life, so much human suffering that there is a chance that matters can can escalate if things aren't brought 
to an end. So the UN plays uh, an important role. The international community plays uh, an important role in trying to uh, avert this humanitarian catastrophe and uh, and bring about a ceasefire. Uh, Brother Khalil Yusuf, thank you for your time. Thank you for your thought and your answers as well. It was lovely listening to you. Um, I wish you all the best for the future and hopefully one time we can have you again on the breakfast show. Thank you for joining. Thank you. Assalamu alaikum. May the peace and blessings for Allah be with you. Dear listeners, you just listened to Khalil Yusuf, member of the Ahmadi Muslim community and a lawyer. And Asim, uh, he thought one thing, which is uh, I think we have just highlighted many times as well, the unjust we see in this uh, crisis that innocent people are coming, uh, have been killed, children, women, which is very sad. And uh, um, it is time for a ceasefire the immediate release of um, the hostages as well. But he was also talking about uh, treaties, about reconciliation. And it is something we have seen in the time of the Holy Prophet as well. Absolutely. So if you look at, at the time of the Holy Prophet, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, if you look at the Treaty of Hudabia, it, it also has parallels to the concept of invo- invoking Article 99 of the United Nations Charter. I mean, uh, do you listen to the tre- uh, Treaty of Hudabia was that moment which the Holy Prophet was basically looking for because he wanted to reconcile, he wanted peace between the, uh, non, uh, the enemies of Islam and the Muslims. And uh, Asim, I believe then when they uh, agreed on like uh, f- uh, on the Treaty of Peace, for t- they agreed on for 10 years not to have any war, and this, I mean, the, that treaty was broken already two, uh, two years after by the enemy of Islam, not by the Muslims, by the enemies. Yes, but yeah. what is very significant is that in those two years, Islam spread very rapidly, very yeah, fast. Definitely. Because then they could uh, see the true picture of Islam. So those who are saying that Islam was spread by the sword are totally wrong. Islam was spread by peace. And this is misunderstanding. And this is what we need right now as well. Uh, you know, this is we have so many solutions. Why not take the solution from the Holy Quran as well and look at the treaty uh, which has was done by the Holy Prophet and how happy he was that now we have peace, now there is no need for war for the next 10 years. And Islam spread very fast, so fast that after two years, the enemy already broke the treaty. If, if, meaning, even, you know, the Holy Prophet, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, even agreed to the things which were not really in favor exactly. of, of his party, but he said, okay, even though they're not in favor, we will still have the treaty. That's the thing that um, he was ready, as you said, there were some points which were basically against, which were looking like they are against Islam, and even few companions were surprised by that as well yeah, and yeah. worried. But Holy Prophet, what he wanted is just peace. So he was right. You know, this is the thing what Khalil Yusuf also said that it is time to put away the ego. And to look what is good for the international uh, community. And this is what the Holy Prophet peace upon him did. And this is a very good example of his character as well. That to maintain peace, to uh, to reconcile, to come to an agreement. Dear listeners, it is important that you put away your own ego, your own wish, your own desire. And look for the better good, which is to have world peace. And um, this is uh, awesome. I'm very happy that you have mentioned that treaty as well. Because this is... One good solution again, one good character of the Holy Prophet people upon him. And there are so many, many more, dear listeners. And if we have any one in your mind, because this is what we said, we will talk about that. 
We will talk about um, the Article 99, but we will talk about also how the Holy Prophet, peace be upon him, how he worked towards world peace as well. And we have we told you that we will give solution, which we are already doing. But if you have anything in your mind regarding how the Holy Prophet maintained peace in the society, yeah, then please call in the number is 0208-687-787 or you can go on our social at Voice of Islam UK. We are happy to listen to your voice on the Voice of Islam radio. But right now, because we're coming really close to the hour, which means we'll go now for the news break. After the news break, you can call in or you can listen to what we have to say. So do me a favor, stay tuned. You are listening to the recording of a live show. Please do not call or text as this is a recording and lines are now closed. In the name of Allah, the most gracious, ever merciful, dear listeners, welcome back. You're listening to Breakfast Show on Voice of Islam Radio. And dear listeners, we were talking about the Holy Prophet, peace be upon him. The solution he gave for maintaining world peace and um, the basically the practice or the acts he has done to adopt or to maintain world peace or peace in the society. And we have given, um, Asim, we have presented verses, we have presented sayings as well. And of course, as I said, we have also presented few acts which he has done to um, adopt or to um, maintain peace in the society. And dear listener, I have asked you as well, if you have something in your mind which you think is very important to share, which is in regard to that topic, which you think uh, that the Holy Prophet has done, which is very helpful for this current situation, then you can call in any time. The number is 0208-687-7878 or you go on our social at Voice of Islam UK. Awesome. Um, before we went to the news break, we were talking about the Treaty of Hudebia. And now... Um, also, we were talking about the Article 99, um, which was invoked by Antonio Guterres. Do you see any similarities between the treaty and the Article 99? Absolutely. So, you know, the both the treaty and the article aim to promote peace and security through diplomatic measures and emphasize the importance of patience, wisdom and seeking common ground, even when faced with challenges so both the treaty and uh, of both the treaty of Hudaybiyah and the invocation of article article 99 reflect the emphasis on peaceful conflict resolution and the importance of finding common ground amidst differences uh, and most important part is finding common ground amidst differences so they demonstrate the value of patience wisdom and diplomacy in navigating complex situations and promoting a more powerful world uh, you know, the Treaty of Hudaybiyah serves as a powerful example of how temporary compromises can lead to long-term peace and stability, while the specific terms of the treaty may not be directly I- a- applicable to modern international relations. Its underlying principles of diplomacy, compromise and patience continue to hold relevance um, in today's world. So, Asam, you know, this treaty was done with two people, two parties, basically two leaders of two parties. Yes. Okay, or let's say that um, the Holy Prophet and the other person was, his name was Sahel, who was not the leader of the Meccans in that time, but he was representative of them. Yeah, yeah. Now, Allah, uh, the Holy Prophet or let's say Allah has commanded us one thing in the Holy Quran as well, or has basically advised, not advised, commanded to the world leaders to act with justice. He said that in chapter 4, verse 59, Well, Allah commands you to make over the trust to those 
to them, uh, to those entitled to them, and that when you judge between man, you judge with justice. And surely excellent is that with which Allah admonished you, Allah is all hearing, all seeing. So you know, um, after uh, reading that verse, he again Allah has, first of all, first Allah speaks to us that when we vote, we should go for what and we should give our votes those people which we think can rule with justice. Here Allah has not mentioned any religion or anything. Basically, he just mentioned one thing, which is that if we can, if we see that someone is, can rule with justice, we should give our worth to them. And if that person is elected, then of course he should also lead with justice as well. And uh, this is, I mean, this is the main, main important thing Allah has basically spoken about in this verse, which is justice. And uh, with justice, also, look, if you just focus on that word justice, what? comes into your mind you do good to people from every ground from every race yes you sh- i mean you you share the th- uh, same thing with everyone then in the end you um you, you have to go against your ego you have to go against your own wishes for the better good so these are things which are missing and this is what allah has spoken 1400 years ago which the holy prophet has provided to the world uh, and uh, this is uh, as i said um this is the most important thing right now um, that we need to rule with justice. They need to rule with justice. Um, but Asim, um, furthermore, uh, also um, His Holiness, may Allah be helper, he has spoken about this conflict of rather the Hamas and Israel conflict many, many times as well. Absolutely, he's spoken so many times uh, during his weekly Friday sermon on the 1st December. The worldwide head of the MDM Muslim community, His Holiness, Mizam Masru Ahmad, may Allah be his helper, urged continued prayers for the Palestinians. His Holiness said that after they pause in fighting, there will be indiscriminate bombardment upon them once again, as a result of which more innocent people will lose their lives. This will be extent of this cruelty. Only Allah knows best. The intentions of greater powers for them are very dangerous. Hence, we must pray a great deal for them that Allah the Almighty has mercy. Uh, you know, the Quran teaches that God is merciful and compassionate and that all of creation is part of his love and mercy. God gave humans the ability to reason and think that we can follow his guidance and reach out full potential. However, humans often choose to ignore defy God's law, which leads to punishment. So the Quran warns that this disobedience will come become even worse in the future and that humans will face severe consequences of their actions. Uh, as we know, Islam emphasizes the concept of mercy and compassion towards those in need. So in the invocation, seeks to alleviate the suffering of the people in Gaza and provide them with necessary aid. It resonates with Islamic teachings of empathy and benevolence. I mean, um, Asim, um, everything His Holiness, may Allah be salpahasar, is also from the teachings of Islam, right? Yes. So he was promoting peace through the teaching from of the Islam, of Islam, or through the things of the Holy Prophet, may Allah be salpahasar, be, um, have mercy on him uh, and uh, may the peace and blessing of Allah be with him 
and the listeners, you know, um, of course, I'm a Muslim. Uh, I have spoken from this perspective, and um, I thought in the early, before we wrap up this first segment, why not presenting a um, few quotes from non-Muslims, what they thought about uh, the Holy Prophet peace be upon him. For example, um, uh, we have George Bernard Shaw, uh, who is uh, who was an author, and he he wrote. Far from being an antichrist, he must be called the savior of humanity. He's speaking about the Holy Prophet, peace be upon him. He said, I believe that if a man like him were to assume to the dictatorship of the modern world, modern world, sorry, he would succeed in solving its problems in a way that will bring it much needed peace and happiness. Uh, and again, you know, uh, Asim, this is not my thing. This is um, the words of a uh, non-Muslim author, uh, George Bernard Shaw. And then we have Karen Armstrong as well. Uh, she writes that perhaps one place to start is with the figure of Muhammad, a complex, passionate man who sometimes did things that are difficult for us to accept, but who has genius of a, who, but who had genius of profound order and founded a religion and a cultural tradition that was not based on the sword and whose name Islam signifies peace and reconciliation. So this is basically uh, the Holy Prophet peace be upon him explained in few words. A man of peace, a man of reconciliation, and his teaching were basically the same. His teaching were according to his acts as well, according to his character. Listeners, um, we will wrap up now the first segment. Uh, but... Again, if you have any thought, if you think uh, you, you want to share something about the Holy Prophet, peace upon him, how he maintained peace in the society, you can do so. The number is 0286877878. Or you can go on our socials at Voice of Islam UK. We will go for a short break. And then after the short break, the listeners, we will start with our second segment, um, which is Tolerance in a Polarized Society, where we will discuss how multicultural culture can also live in the Western society. So de- uh, do me a favor, stay tuned with the voice of some radio. With so many attacks on Islam and the Holy Prophet wasallam, let's set the record straight. He was a man of peace. He went through 13 long years of persecution for his beliefs. He was mocked and ridiculed, but he didn't retaliate because he was a man of peace. When he went to Taif to spread the message of Islam, He was pelted with stones until he was bleeding, yet he did not retaliate because he was a man of peace. When he migrated to Medina, he established the Charter of Medina, allowing the Jews, Christians and Muslims to live together in harmony with full religious freedom because he was a man of peace. And after all the oppression that he faced, when he returned to Mecca as a king, he had the right and the power to punish every single one of them. Yet he forgave them because he was a man of peace. The Holy Prophet said that no white man is superior to a black man, no Arab to a non-Arab. Rather, everyone is equal. He freed slaves and taught to treat them as brothers. He did all of this because he was sent as the Rahmatul Lil Alameen, a mercy for mankind. Indeed, the Holy Prophet was a true man of peace. Writings of the Promised Messiah When a hot-tempered person is provoked and punishes a child, he takes on the role of an enemy in the stress of his anger 
and imposes punishment far in excess of the wrong which has been done. An individual with self-respect and control over himself, who is also forbearing and dignified, has the right to correct a child to a certain extent as the occasion demands or seek to guide the child. But a wrathful and hot-headed person who is easily provoked is not fit to be a guardian of children. I wish that instead of punishing children, parents would have recourse to prayer and should make it a habit to supplicate earnestly for their children for the supplications of parents on behalf of their children meet with special acceptance. to the Voice of Islam Radio. You're listening to the Voice of Islam Radio. Broadcasting on DAB and via the internet 24 hours a day. In the name of Allah, the most gracious, ever merciful, dear listeners, welcome back to Breakfast Show on the Voice of Islam Radio. My name is Shalmin Ahmed and I'm joined here with Asim. And Asim, coming now to the second segment, which is tolerance in a polarized society. You know, I, I know there's so many things we can discuss about it. The first thing which comes in, always into my mind is that how the Holy Prophet peace upon him. When he migrated to Medina in a new society, how he basically um, built up a peaceful society over there. I mean, people from different backgrounds coming over there and then start living as brothers is amazing. It's, this is unity of it. I mean, of course you will. Of course, of course. Yeah. It is amazing to see that they never met before and yet they were living and from the first moment on as brothers. But um, this is something we will come to, uh, to uh, as well. But can you just tell us the gist of the story? Absolutely. So in, in light of International Day of Neutrality on December the 12th, uh, we will be discussing the need to keep the peace and be tolerant of one another, especially as a society uh, is polarizing at such a rapid pace with elections of far-right leaders, such as the recent election of Gert Wilders in the Netherlands. We will focus on the importance of tolerating and respecting the beliefs of others. Amazing. And uh, um, International Day. Um, 
why uh, like uh, to be honest uh, i've never heard about this before but you said it's on the 12th of december which was two days ago yeah what is it all about so it is a de- day designed by the united nations to raise awareness about neutrality and neutrality means staying Im- impartial in conflicts between nations and promoting peace international day of neutrality raises awareness about neutrality importance of preventing conflicts fostering peaceful coexistence and encouraging peaceful resolutions by recognizing and promoting neutrality the global community aims to create a more powerful world through uh, cooperation to address global challenges global challenges i mean uh, there are so many things we can discuss about about the this international peace or about you know multicultural society it is getting bigger people from different backgrounds are migrating now to here in the west as well and uh, um there are few countries which you can say are known as a multicultural society america is the was one country even here in great britain or ireland as well so talking and talking about irish we have uh, someone on hold who is from ireland his name is yusuf pender who is um also a member of the Ahmadiyya Muslim community um Mr Yusuf Pender assalamu alaikum may the peace of and blessing of Allah be with you and welcome to the breakfast show assalamu alaikum zakala um Yusuf Pender um we when we were talking about the first uh, the second topic of the show the first thing which came to my mind is the migration to the of Holy Prophet to Medina when he basically came to a new society and all the muslims started living as brothers even though they didn't know each other um this is actually a very good example um do you think this example if you uh, if we um adopt that example can this example contribute to a peaceful society definitely like a, it 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 really stands out um the constitution of medina for example when the prophet muhammad peace be upon him when he came into a position of leadership in medina after migrating um from mecca due to persecution he actually created a constitution um where muslims christians jews and others could could live uh, together in, uh, in in tolerance like basically a constitution which at its core had kind of tolerance and peace based upon on the principles of justice um and i i think that it's it's unique in the annals of history because it's a constitution which essentially affords equality from people of very different diverse backgrounds you had other constitutions which were for citizens of of, of one particular country but this is the first time we had a constitution that was basically um about bringing all these different points of view and all these different religions together in a way that they could all work together despite their differences and, and kind of contribute to tolerant society and um I, i i think like that that definitely serves it's enduring because it serves as a blueprint for how people of different faiths and backgrounds continue to live together under muslim rule for a very long time and i i think today um those actually those principles are are, are being upheld and promoted by um his holiness hazrat mirza masur ahmed the caliph of the ahmadiyya muslim community um you know when we see so many times Hazur is reaching out to to you know the political and religious leaders as well as the common man and calling for a fair and just society and you know it, 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 and for the powerful nations to act responsibility and ethically towards their citizens and others and and that has the very you know long and deep roots 
going back to the very early early history of Islam. And you talk about like the early history of Islam, and then also you talk about the community, uh, established by the Prophet Musa. May Allah be helpful. May Allah be pleased with him. Um, I just want to know that um, how much did the community, or how much, yeah, did the community follow the uh, the act or the the example of the early Prophet to uh, be a role model for this day and age, and showing how to have a peaceful society with different people from different backgrounds. Yeah, I mean, if if we study the life and and the actual time of the promised Messiah, peace be upon him, Hazrat Mirza Ghulam Muhammad of Ghadian, in in the late, uh, you know, mid to late 19th century, uh, India, which was it was then, you know, they called the Indian subcontinent, um, um, is it, very very unique part of the world, because in in this place and in this time, you had essentially uh, all so many of the world's religions, which were all existing together. But it had fallen into such a condition where they were all extremely adversarial towards one another. There was, uh, you know, so much tension between Muslims and, and, and Christians and Hindus and, and within those communities against each other. And also between the, you know, which was brought by the British Empire, um, the kind of new secularism and, and religious thought. And it was really, it was, it was a very, very chaotic time. And, and, there were many you know movements which came out of that which were very extremist and on one side religiously and then on the other side you had movements which wanted to do away with religion altogether and if we look at the the, the mission and the writings of promised messiah peace be upon him and he he proclaimed that he he didn't just come you know to to strengthen muslims against everybody else but to actually strengthen the cause of religion itself and the cause of humanity and so many of his writings and so many of his of his, you know, speeches uh, uh, still basically have at their principle the the idea that all religions can live together upon very, you know, common specific principles which we all share. And uh, he wrote so many books on how we can actually overcome those differences and and, and focus on commonalities. And that's something, again, as I mentioned um, about the the Ahmadi Muslim community, this is something which is very, very very strong in our community and it, 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 it kind of summed up in the the motto of our community which was given to us by the third caliph of the community Hazrat Mirza Nasir Ahmed we want to be pleased with him uh, which is love for all hatred for none love for yeah. all hatred for none this is it's actually a very good motto uh, and uh, do you think this motto uh, represents also the Islamic teaching then? because you were talking about this religion as well and that the Prophet Muhammad was uh, to truth um, uh, the religion of Islam to maintain peace in society as well. Do you think this mortal love for all hated for none is basically showing the true picture of Islam? Yes, because you know, I mean, Islam teaches. I mean, the Allah says in the Quran that God is one, and humanity is one. Mm-hmm. And and even the Prophet Muhammad, peace and blessings be upon him, has said that in terms of identity, nobody is born a Muslim or a Christian, or a Jew, or an atheist. These identities are, are, are something which we're, which we're taught, like a, a clothing that we put on. But that underneath that identity is called uh, something we call Islam, a fitra, uh, uh, like an inclination, an inborn inclination, um, that at our core as human beings, we, we, we want peace and we want security um, within ourselves and our society. And to go underneath all of that identity which clouds our minds and which makes us adversarial 
and, and reach into our humanity and from that humanity actually we can retrieve you know our, our crude faith and and our, and our crude humanity and that's one of the beauties of Islam the, 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 the commonality and, and the equality like for example the Prophet Muhammad peace be upon him he he was the, the prophet of, of justice of social justice mm-hmm. um, he he elevated the the slave he elevated the orphan he he elevated uh, uh, women to 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 a position of equality and again going back to the to the the, the farewell sermon of the Prophet Muhammad, peace be upon him, where he said, an Arab is not better than a non-Arab or a non-Arab and Arab, and a black man is not greater than a white man or a white man, a black man, that we're that we're all human beings. And God actually teaches that in his sight, the greatest person is the person who excels in their righteousness. So the color of your skin, the language which you you speak, the position which you hold in society are, are, are not of concern to God. What's of concern to God is, and I'll actually mentions beautifully in the Holy Quran that it's what is is within your hearts. And I think that we forget that religion is incomplete without humanity. Uh, we see so much relig- religiosity mm. in the world. We see at the moment in Israel, they're fighting this war on behalf of Judaism, and we see sometimes these so-called jihadi groups are fighting this war on behalf of, of Islam. What is this Judaism? What is this Islam? Mm. Where is their humanity? Mm. And Islam teaches, and the Hazur or Khalifa of the Amdi Muslim community has mentioned again and again, that to complete religion, there is two parts. The rights which we owe to God, with the rights which we owe to, to humanity as well. And while we are, you know, not giving the rights to humanity, we are hollowing out our religion. And we are, we are, we are essentially making a mockery of, of just words which come from our mouth. So, so like I said, Islam teaches, I think, all, and many faiths teach that, that religion is, is, is incomplete without humanity. This is so beautiful what you said, that religion is incomplete without humanity. And this is what, I mean, you just said a beautiful, it's what the Holy Prophet has taught us as well, to, uh, to fulfill the rights of Allah and to fulfill the rights of his creation as well. You have been amazing, it was so lovely talking to you. We, because of short of, of the time, um, we had, uh, we have to end the interview, but as I said, I uh, really enjoyed listening to you and I, I just can't wait to have you again on the Breakfast Show. Thank you, brother. God bless you. Assalamu alaikum. Assalamu alaikum. Peace and blessings will be with you as well. Amazing. You know, the thing that he has spoken out is that he gave, he, he basically spoke from the Islamic perspective, right? He basically um, gave solution from the Islamic perspective for have a tolerant society and uh, how to do that is that look in the life, look at the life of Tali Prophet, peace be upon him. Look at uh, the community which was founded by the Prophet Messiah that is basically has adopted the practices of Tali Prophet peace be upon him and his companions. And uh, that with that, all this, we can basically maintain a peaceful and healthy society as well. Dear listeners, the reason we had to cut the interview short with Yusuf Panda is because we have a pre-recording as well, which is... Uh, also very interesting quite long as well and after the pre-recording we will be back and if you have anything to share with us in regards of this topic in regards of Tali Prophet peace upon him how he maintains uh, peace in the society you can do so you can call in anytime the number is 0208-687-7878 or you can go on our social at Voice of Islam UK so do me a favor thank you with the Voice of Islam radio in the name of Allah the most gracious ever merciful dear listeners um, I'm very delighted to have to have with me Dr. Jennifer McCoy, who is Regent Professor of Political Science at Georgia State University. Dr. Jennifer McCoy, um, 
welcome. May the peace and blessings of Allah be with you. And welcome to the breakfast show. Thank you. Delighted to be here. Um, you are a professor of political science. Um, I want to know how would you characterize the current state of political polarization and what trends do you see emerging? Yes, around the world we see it rising in many countries uh, and it's a, it's a concerning trend. And what I mean by political polarization is really an us versus them division of society into mm. two kind of political camps that have a mutual distrust of each other. And antagonism can grow, suspicion can grow, and communications can break down between the two groups. And this is what's the most concerning for democracy. Uh, so this is a, a trend that we see in certain countries, particularly I'm most concerned about democracies. And we see it in the large multiracial democracies like Brazil, India, and the United States, really growing strongly, which is raising the question of, you know, how can multiracial, multicultural democracies uh, uh, strengthen their democracies to, to exist, to have tolerance? But we also see it in many other countries that are, you know, smaller, uh, maybe new democracies, maybe old democracies that are also, as they polarize, they're also moving toward eroding their democracies. So within Europe, we've seen it within Latin America, many regions of the world. And um, Professor, you were talking about multicultural uh, democracy. Uh, you just gave the example of, uh, the, um, of the United States as well, where you are based. Now, what advice would you give to the leaders of the United States to tackle this issue? Well, what we know from research is that the messaging, the rhetoric, the discourse of leaders is extremely important and can affect citizens and voters and how they view people of a different camp. When that rhetoric is very demonizing, dehumanizing, or questioning the loyalty of political opponents, as happens in what I call a pernicious polarizing strategy, um, then leaders first the problem is they know that it can be a winning electoral strategy because if they create fear or anger in the hearts of their supporters and then promise to be the savior uh, and to protect them from threats or insecurities they may feel from these other people, then they can, they can win votes and they can gain power. Um, but this is very harmful to democracy and to people and to social coexistence. So, the, what the advice I would give to leaders is it's very important to model the kind of attitudes that we would like to see, to model attitudes of respect, of uh, civil discourse, which does not mean agreeing, and it doesn't mean hiding your conflicts, but it means respecting the dignity of the other and listening to their opinions as well as expressing your own. Also, it's really important for political leaders to denounce their own party members or supporters who may engage in this very pernicious activity of the demonization and even political violence. That must be denounced. And uh, um, like recently, we have seen this uh, um, just a few years ago. Uh, in, we have seen this in America. I'm talking about the capital, uh, um, the storm on the capital. 
uh, when Trump uh, supporters, they um, came out for violence as well. And uh, did you see any um, condemn uh, from Trump or from any of, uh, of his party that they have condemned this? And uh, in future, if this happens, you just said that they have to condemn that. Um, I have seen this many, many times in other uh, countries as well. Do you think there is a huge lack of from the political leaders to condemn these things? Uh, yes, there certainly is. Specifically in the United States, some within the Republican Party condemn it. There were some courageous souls. Some condemned it at the beginning, but then reversed course. Some even, you know, blamed Donald Trump with his speech for inciting people and lying to people about electoral fraud. But then they reversed course and sort of became his acolytes again and refused to then uh, condemn it or to even admit that the, the lies about the 2020 election, you know, were in fact lies. Mm -hmm. So that's mm -hmm. a real problem um, when leaders are refusing to, to, to speak the truth uh, to, their, to their followers. And uh, now, because uh, we live in a um, global village, uh, we'll, this whole society, this whole world is pretty much influenced by social media. Um, would you say there is a relationship between what we see online and the rise of intolerance within society overall? Well, it's yes, there's some relationship, but I don't say that social media is the cause of the polarization. Uh, it can make it worse. It can exacerbate it. But social media reflects the voices of actually very few citizens, but they have most active, vocal, sometimes the more extreme voices, and that gets picked up. And particularly when traditional media then picks up those voices and reports on them or reports on political leaders using such a platform in this negative way and reports it as news, then, you know, that is spreading um, th this kind of negative messaging. So, yes, yeah, social media contributes to the problem. It's not the major cause of the problem. So what would you say? Who is the major cause then? It's many things, and it's complex, and it varies by country. But a lot of it, I trace back to insecurities or anxieties that citizens can feel, which may come from economic change and dislocation, uh, it may come from uh, cultural and demographic change if they see uh, their society diversifying or, you know, women gaining more than they used to have or uh, religions becoming more diverse. Then people may fear that the values they treasure will become uh, threatened. So various kinds of insecurities, economic, cultural. It also comes from the technological change that is, for example, creating automation in the workplace, and that's displacing a lot of jobs. Politicians may come in and blame that uh, uh, unemployment on immigration, but actually automation jobs is, is a bigger uh, cause of, of, of changing employment status. So it's, it's also, you know, of reflecting the growing income inequality in the world um, in, in many capitalist democracies. So there are many... Um, Many causes, and a final one I would say is that political parties have, in many cases in Europe and the United States, have not been responsive to their um, constituents. 
and they have uh, in some cases kind of converged on their economic policy. In other cases, they have kind of moved to uh, inflame culture wars as an alternative way to get elected. So political parties um, respond to the pressures that they feel have not always been the most helpful. So what I understand is that because you've said that a lot of new culture is coming in the society as well, and um, you can see that the rise of um, different parties, like we see that women are getting stronger as well, which is arguably very good. But then you see, uh, what I just understand is that those politi politicians, they are not ready to change them. They are ready to change uh, their view. They are still inclined with the old view, which then I believe is not up to date then. Yes, that's correct. And also we see in many cases uh, sort of uh, the political leadership refusing to give way to newer generations as well, mm. to allow new generations to come up and take their place. In the United States, we're facing this, you know, a lot of debate about octogenarian uh, political leaders still running Congress, uh, you know, uh, campaigning for president and in many leadership roles. So um, th that's another thing. So generational change is one, being open to new voices uh, of various kinds of diversity um, is another. And sometimes it's just, you know, political leaders are, are responding as well to what they, at least what they think their voters want. And when the more activist groups, which again may be the most partisan loyalist, but also may be the most extreme, make their views, political leaders follow them or fear that if they kind of match their rhetoric, their, their, their views, that then they'll be voted out of power. So it's a two-way street, though I would say that the direction from top down is probably the most important because we've seen that political leaders are more often than the voters are themselves. Interesting. Good. Um, Professor, like you just spoke about the young generation as well, which is very interesting. You're right that we have very less, in few countries might be, we see some young politicians who are, let's say, leading the country, uh, uh, but uh, in most of the po most powerful countries, we've seen still um, people from the old generation. If uh, from people from the young generation, they come up and start leading, um, I'm talking about overall, we have, we're living in a time where uh, let's say war is happening in many, many countries as well. Do you think all these problems, if the young generation steps over, takes over, all these problems, even this multicultural problem, will come to an end? Well, it, it's going to take time. And, mm. you know, it will take probably a couple of generations to change. Uh, I am hopeful, though, uh, about the younger generations that they are uh, more tolerant overall, not not universally, but mm. but overall, mm. uh, they are. I'm concerned in that many countries surveys are young people are less committed, or or when they answer survey questions about how important is it to live in a democracy, younger generations in many countries are saying it's not important because I think they have not seen the benefits. They don't. They don't see um, Democrat, you know, political leaders being responsive to their needs, um, and they've lived through a lot of 
of crises and, and turmoil in the world since 2000. Mm. So mm. people who are in high school or university today, uh, you know, have, have just a lot of, of um, different kinds of anxiety and, and trauma even that I think we need to show how democracy can work and, and does work better than alternatives, particularly different kinds of authoritarian alternatives. And, uh, and, and so that's one thing that needs to happen. But overall, I think in many countries that are diversifying, becoming more multicultural, multi-religious, multi-ethnic, um, that you know, the young people reflect that in the, in the demographics and they're more used to uh, living in a diverse world. And so they show more tolerance of others and more respect of others and are not as afraid of losing their own values as some of the older generations who may not have had that same kind of contact are. And, um, you know, like, I know free countries, like, for example, um, in Germany, they say that those people who come from abroad, uh, they should integrate in the society as well. Um, what does it mean to integrate in the society? Does it mean that to leave out your old, uh, your old culture and to adopt the new culture, which you have just seen? Is it not like then that, uh, is it not just uh, bring up more fire into the society? by saying that, that you should integrate in our society? Well, cultures evolve over time. They're slow yeah. to evolve, but they do change and they do adapt. And I think that that is happening and it must happen. So this is, this is a core issue, I think, in the political polarization today. Growing divergence over, do we, do we even agree on what national values are or what is a national what is the story of our country? What is the history of it? What are the founding myths and, and values um, from our country? And so we're seeing great divisions about this in the United States, and I think in other countries as well. So when others come from abroad, uh, yes, they need to learn about those, you know, the history of the country, the founding values, but they can also add and contribute. And they can, and, and so those, who you know are receiving um, immigrants, um, others from abroad, then you know hopefully they will open up and be curious and want to learn and recognize generally that science shows that more diverse opinions, uh, having different opinions in any kind of decision making, produces better decisions than having very homogeneous. Uh, groupthink kinds of decisions that does not consider alternatives that might be better. And Professor, because um, you are teaching uh, in, a, in a university as well, and we see you just talked about the young generation as well, how would you say educational institutions contribute to shaping attitudes and what change should be made to encourage a more tolerant and respectful society? Well, this is a huge debate in the United States right now, and particularly as you may have seen, I'm not sure how it is in the UK if you're experiencing the same, uh, but particularly with the um, Israeli-Hamas uh, mm. conflict, we're, we're seeing a lot of uh, conflict within U.S. universities and, and disputes about how to, how to handle free speech and, and the expression of different opinions about this. 
overall, I would say that what we need to do in educational institutions, both high schools and universities, is one, focus on education about democracy itself, so civic education. What does it mean to be a responsible citizen? What does it mean to live in a democracy? What kind of shared sacrifices do we need to make? In other words, mm -hmm. balancing out individual freedoms with a notion of collective interest and collective welfare. And that requires compromise. It requires respecting uh, authority and knowing that you won't get your way 100% of the time. But also it requires uh, acknowledging that everyone needs to contribute, whether that's through taxes or through other uh, means to, to get these collective goods. And I think we've lost that a lot in many countries. We've lost this kind of civic mm -hmm. education. And, and then it also means teaching the skills of communicating across divides. And there are certain skills about how to communicate and to understand what happens psychologically to people and the neuroscience about the way our brains work, how easy it is to fall into the traps of polarizing rhetoric and fear and suspicion. And if we can understand that, what's underneath that physiologically and psychologically, um, then we can, we can overcome that and, and learn to use the skills of communication better. And uh, just one last question, because in the Holy Quran, for example, it is said that as a citizen of a country, you should be loyal to your country as well. You should follow the law of your country as well. Now, you, you, I mean, does this come to civic education as well, that, uh, uh, that you should be trained to be loyal to that country and you should show justice towards your country as well? We live in a very interdependent world. And mm -hmm. so we need to recognize that we're all in this together as human beings mm -hmm. across the world. And that solving global problems like climate change and you know, the growing scarcity of water and the movement of people um, and uh, you know, pandemic health emergencies are all going to require cooperation and thinking about the world as a whole, not, not just one particular country. But at the same time, people psychologically have a need to belong, to belong to some group that could be a small group, you know, in their local community, in their local church, or just their family, you know, kind of kinship tribe. But because we live in larger societies, that also can be a sense of belonging to the country, which is important to help a country itself make these collective decisions that a democracy requires and to resolve conflicts peacefully, which is what democracy does, is set up to do. So it's important to have a balance of both mm -hmm. national um, you know, loyalty in the sense of belonging and, and, and shared um, living capabilities but also to recognize the larger world, that we are part of this larger world and we have got to work with others, not against others, to make life better for all of us. I think this is a very important message we should adopt to recognize that we are together in one world and we, sh we are the one who can shape it. Um, Professor, uh, thank you for your time. It was very interesting listening to you. Um, uh, hopefully, um, I just hopefully we can we can have you one day again on the break for sure. I wish you all the best for the future and thank you again for joining.
Okay, thank you so much. In the name of Allah, the most gracious, ever merciful, dear listeners, you just listened to an interview with Jennifer McCoy, Professor Jennifer McCoy. Awesome. Um, interesting what she said as well about how to maintain a multicultural society. And uh, we as a community, we as the Ahmadi community, we have this as well, and almost a community awesome. We have people from different backgrounds as well who have converted to Islam and Madiyat. Uh, and it's like this community is spread overall all over the world anyway so yes we have a huge big community multicultural community and I think the Ahmadi Muslim community can play a big role as an advisor as you know someone who can teach the world how to maintain a peaceful society with multicultural people from different backgrounds especially in the UK because in the UK we have people from various backgrounds Absolutely, yeah, definitely. Um, so in an address uh, at the inauguration of the Musroom Mosque in South Virginia, USA, by the head of the worldwide Ahmadi Muslim community, Azam Mizamusur Ahmad, may Allah be his helper. So His Holiness spoke about Islam as a religion of peace. Uh, Islam's teachings are of peace, ra- love, reconciliation and brotherhood. In fact, uh, the literal meaning of the Arabic word Islam is peace. So when the very name and foundation of religion is peace, it is important for that religion to promote or permit anything that undermine the peace and well-being of society. And um, Asim, talking about peace, I mean, Islam is a religion who has spoken about that, has spoken about justice as well. For example, in chapter 5, verse 9, Allah says, and let, let not a people's enmity inside you to act otherwise than with justice. Be always just, that is nearer to righteousness. So in a society, if someone is being, let's say, racist to you, or being not nice to you, you should indeed do the same, but you should act with justice and you should reconcile with him if possible. It's truly it's possible. Speak to him, teach him, maybe because he's unknown about you about us and he's maybe he's scared this is what I've, we have both have felt as well yes. after 9-11 people totally forgot about the teaching they were unaware of Islamic teaching anyway but we were marked as tourists and it was our duty to speak to them to teach them and still this is what we do absolutely definitely um, you know the, even the founder of them, the Muslim community peace be upon him has said that regarding Islam and its stance regarding the truth of other religions. He said, one of the principles which forms the basis of my belief refers to the establishment, established religions of the peace. These religions have met with wide acceptance in various religious um, of the earth. They have acquired a measure of age and have reached a stage of maturity. God has informed me that none of these religions were forced at their source and none of the of the prophets imposters so this is a beautiful principle which basically promotes peace and harmony uh, and you know which lays the foundation of reconciliation and which also helps the moral condition of man all prophets that have appeared in the world regardless of whether you know they dwelt in india or persia or, or china or in some other country we believe in the truth of them one and all. Uh, dear listeners, uh, because we are reaching the end of the show, 
to summarize everything what um, Asim has said, Islam's teaching unite mankind and foster a spiritual and mutual love and respect between all people, irrespective of racial, religious, or social backgrounds. And it is a religion that breaks down barriers and encourages peaceful and tolerant dialogue. Asim, um, I mean, Islam has spoken about this many times as well, that that when you fulfill those five daily prayers, when you fulfill the rights of Allah, when you listen to him, you need to fulfill the rights of his creation as well. This is also very important. Definitely, and um, yeah. for a believer who does everything to please Allah, to come close to Allah, he, he certainly acting upon these teachings as well, which are very fundamental. And um, here in Great Britain, we have, as I said before, we have a society from diff- people from different various backgrounds. Uh, and uh, again, the Ahmadi Muslim community is playing a big role, uh, showing how we can live peaceful as a society, as a community. Uh, and this, what we have done, dear listeners, as a community, uh, where we have people from different backgrounds, we have people from various countries who have converted as well, who have joined the Ahmadi Muslim community. Still, we follow the... Um, message of love for all headed for none which was um, presented by Yusuf Panda as well uh, a motto which was basically um, uh, first mentioned by the third caliph of the Ahmadi Muslim community and he he also said once one very good thing that um, he was once interviewed by I believe uh, 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 um, uh, by a reporter from Switzerland where she asked how he once what he wants from like how he wants to integrate in the society with his community and the third caliph he smiled and said we want to win the heart of the people this is what we want and this is what Islam is all about this is what the Holy Prophet Muhammad peace be upon blessing of Allah did as well to win the hearts of the people regardless from what background they were dear listeners we have reached the end of the show we are very we're coming very close to the show uh, to the hour um i'm very grateful that you have listened to the show as well uh, and also to our producers hamid akbar hania sajid and sabia Saif, and to our researchers mala mahmoud sage Araf, kashfa noor ahmed and barira haroon uh, dear listeners before i go a small uh, very important uh, message i just want to share with you is that Thursday is a day is the bridge between the hard work of the week and the sweet reward of the weekend. So do enjoy your weekend and may the peace and blessings of Allah be with you all. <laughs>